You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. What would you like to see happen? What would be a dream for you? Well, this is actually a little interactive bit. We are going to turn to the person next to you and think 15, and just say, 15 years from now, I hope to see blank. What, what, is your, what would be something you would like to see accomplished, something grand in the nation, in the world, in your sports team, whatever that would be, 15 years from now, you hope to see what? We're going to take 15 seconds. Go. Five, four, three, two, and one. All right, so I was thinking about this today, this week. So 15 years from now, uh, first thing is I hope that I get to celebrate my 35th wedding anniversary with Sarah, right? And so that would be uh, my first goal 15 years from now. I hope 15 years from now I'll have seen my kids' graduation um, from something and we got, Denny's only three, and so we, she's around for a while. I might be like leaving the retirement home to go to graduation, but um, we'll hope to see graduating. Um, I hope uh, we see the Denver Broncos win at least two Super Bowls uh, in the next 15 years. That's one of my, my goals that I work to get that accomplished. Um, I hope to fly, uh, to drive a flying car. That was one of my goals, and I hope to have a pet monkey. And so these are my 15-year goals. Some of those all accomplished. Some of them uh, I might not. I don't know about the car thing. Uh, everything else I think I can make happen. But um, these are what I'm hoping 15 years from now, that if God was to say, hey, I'm going to give you 15 more years, these are some of my goals. Uh, wonderful, noble goals. I know. They're great. Um, and so this is what I would want to do. Uh, when I was reading the scripture this week and, and thinking about it, this is what Hezekiah, uh, the king that we've been following, the king of Judah, he's a, the king of Judah, he's the 13th king, and we've been following King Hezekiah, and he is given 15 more years in today's text. Uh, we're going to be camping out in 2 Kings chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to open it to that. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen. But uh, in this text, it's, it's a really neat story. But it's also maybe the hardest chapter to preach on in the story of Hezekiah. And when we get to the end of this, you're going to be like, why was that the hardest? And, and I'll explain to you in a bit. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open. And we're going to get right into this. Chapter 20, 2 Kings, verse 1. It says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The, the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. Thanks, thanks Isaiah. <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks for coming over. Um, you know, that, hey, you're going to die. Uh, I was also thinking, too, like, that'd be a pretty sweet role. Like, if I was Isaiah, just be walking, hey, you're going to die. Can I take some stuff with me? All right, you're not going to need any of this anyway. So, um, but so he goes and he tells him he's going to die. And at this, it says, verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. You see, like his first instinct when Isaiah comes and says that the end is here. And Hezekiah has been sick and, and the many people in the, in the palace and in the town of Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem, and, and in the nation of Judah know their king is ill. 
Therkina's been struggling with health, and he's got boils all over him, and, and his health is declining, and here comes Isaiah, and Isaiah's probably going to bless him. Isaiah's going to fix everything, but instead, Isaiah declares, it's over. You're going to die, and Hezekiah turns to the wall, just begins to pray. We all know why. I think it's such a peculiar uh, uh, detail that says that he turns to the, to the, turns to the side. And, and maybe it was so the others in the room wouldn't see him, uh, that he wouldn't be distracted in his prayer. Maybe it was because it says that he's crying and just doesn't want everyone to see the king crying. But he breaks down and he comes before the Lord. And it says he cried, remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully with a wholehearted devotion, and I have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. You can imagine the pain Hezekiah's feeling. He, he knows his past. He knows the stories of the kings before, and they lived long lives, and, and they were evil. They were corrupt. And now Hezekiah, in the prime of his life, is going to die. Hezekiah, who's been doing all the right things, who got rid of all the, the altars to Baal and the Asherah poles, who's brought everyone back to God. Remember, he brought in the Passover and he, and he opened up the temple again. He's been bringing people to God and he cries out, God, why? I've done all the right things. Why? I think, too, Hezekiah is crying out to the promises that he knows He's been in the word, he's, he's read the text from kings before, and when God visits his great, great, great ancestor, Solomon, we see this passage in 2 Chronicles, it's in chapter six, 6, verse 16 through 17, Solomon said, now Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in what they do to walk before me according to my law, as you have done. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. These requests by Hezekiah, I don't think, are, are conceited and saying, oh, poor me, I'm so good. I think it's crying out to God, wait, I'm following your promises. You had this promise that if we're good, if we follow your ways, there would always be a king from the line of David on the throne. And at this point, Hezekiah has no male descendant. So he's lived this qualified life. He's, he's brought people closer to God. But when he dies, that line is over. And so there's this desire that, God, this is your story. God, that, that you would have this, you made this promise that you would, this descendant from the line of David would still be on the throne. And, and if I die today, it's not going to happen. And, and I wonder if Hezekiah wasn't even thinking, man, I failed. I wasn't able to produce an heir. Where did I, I mess up? And, and so he feels like, too, maybe he let down the Lord. And he's just crying out for more time. As we've been going through the life of Hezekiah, we've been following what the scripture presents. But most scholars feel that 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings aren't in chronological order. And so last week, if you were here, if you remember, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, has been bringing on forces to Israel. They took out Israel, and now they're coming after Judah. And as Assyria is this big mammoth country, and, and, and Judah is just a small little podunk country. And, and so Hezekiah knows this is coming. 
And so most scholars believe that this illness occurs right before Sennacherib's attack of Judah. So imagine Hezekiah is already stressed. He's already worried about this big bad enemy that's about to come. And then on top of this, he's gotten sick. And then on top of this, Isaiah comes and says, you're going to die. So I don't have a descendant. My nation's about to get destroyed. God, why? So the story continues, verse 4. Before Isaiah had left the metal court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people. This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. As we look at this story, we're going to see something. That this isn't Hezekiah's story. It never really was. All the weeks that we've been looking at Hezekiah, this is God's story working through Hezekiah. And so even here, he says, I, I have, this is what the Lord says, the God of your father, David. That he sees Hezekiah as not just Hezekiah, but this line of, the, of David, this promise that we've had all along. That this is God's story for Israel. And so we're going to see that this is God's story, not Hezekiah's. And what we're living needs to be God's story and not ours. And so you see this verse, it's a beautiful verse. This is God that says, I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. I don't know about you, but there's been times that I've been praying to God and tears have been flowing. There's times that I just say, why, God? That I cry out like Hezekiah, why? What's going on? Can you make this clear? I don't understand. And this is a beautiful passage to be reminded. If you've ever been in that situation, maybe you're in that situation today or maybe next month or maybe a month ago, God hears your prayers. God sees those tears. God hears us crying out to him. And so he says, I've heard it and I'm going to answer Three days from now, you're going to go to the temple, which means three days from now, he's going to be healed. Three days from now, his skin, his boils are going to be reclaimed, that he'll be clean enough and sanctified enough to be able to go to the temple. And God continues, I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. You see this, that God's saying, this is my story. And I will deliver the city. And we saw it last week. Remember, uh, Sennacherib comes with Assyria. And they come and they lay siege to Jerusalem. And then in the middle of the night, God swoops through and kills over 100,000 of the soldiers. Those that are still living flee back to Assyria. And Jerusalem is saved. This prediction that Isaiah shares, these words of God come true. Just a short time later in Hezekiah's life. And it says, for my sake... For my servant David, a call back to this line, a call back to this promise that a king will continue on the throne. It says verse 7, then Isaiah said, prepare a polis of figs. And they did so and applied it to the boils and he recovered. When I read that, I thought, next time I'm sick, I'm going to have Sarah buy fig newtons and see, you know, that might help. It's worth a shot or Oreos, either way. All right. Um, in verse 8, Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will, the sign of the Lord, what, what will be the sign of the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord 
on the third day from now. In the old times, God would often make a proclamation, and then he would accompany that with a sign. They didn't have the Bible like we do to be able to go back to to see God's promises that have come true. And so he would often have a sign. And Isaiah doesn't criticize Hezekiah. God doesn't criticize Hezekiah for calling out and saying, what is the sign that you're going to give me? And it says, Isaiah answered, this is the Lord's sign that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall, shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or shall, shall it go back 10 steps? Well, it's a simple matter for the shadow to go forward 10 steps, said Hezekiah. Rather have it go back 10 steps. Then the prophet called to the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back 10 steps as it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So this is a cool part, right? This part, so Isaiah says, what do you want? What do you want the sign to be? There's these stairs leading up to the palace. You can see these from your window where, where you're at in the, in the royal chambers where he's sick and he's laying on this bed where Isaiah has come and spoke to him and he says, you can see those stairs. Do you want the shadows? The, sh the shadows halfway down the staircase because the sun is going and, and, and it's setting in the west and do you want to see the shadows Go forward or come back. Hezekiah says, well, of course, well, we've all seen him go forward. We all know that as the sun goes down, the shadows are going to get longer. So I want to see him come back. I want to know that this is God. Not just, not just nature, but that this is God's hand. And so Isaiah says, the Lord will make this happen. And so as I was reading, there's a lot of different ideas, scientific phenomenon that, that could cause this to happen. A lot of people talk about different ways that most would agree that God didn't stop the earth and make it go backwards a little bit. You know, everyone would jolt it and fallen off. But, uh, but the idea was that there's this different, um, sometimes people said this might be a solar eclipse and it would cause the shadows to shift. There's also ideas about this ice cloud and the way it reflects in a prism. I don't know, it got super scientific and I just kind of glossed over that one. But it was this idea that some people have found scientific answers for this. But all of those would revolve around the sun. Remember, what we've seen in the first couple chapters, Hezekiah has got rid of Baal worship, has got rid of the worship to the other gods, and the worship of the sun was the central part of Baal worship. And so why would God use the sun, who Hezekiah has got rid of the worship to that, to be a sign? The people of Judah would then reflect it and been like, Baal's back. And, you know, and they would have pointed to Baal for the glory of this. Instead, think if we look at this story and think about the spiritual component. Where have we seen something as bright as the sun multiple times? Is God's Shekinah glory. Throughout the Old Testament, we've seen it. It's, it's the sun that, that leads the Israelites in the wilderness. It's the, the presence of God was this brightness in between the cherubim and the holy of holies. We saw it when we were studying Mark and we saw the transfiguration of Jesus. It was night, and yet it says that it was so bright that they had to cover their eyes. When Paul is in the presence of Jesus, he is blinded. It's this Shekinah glory, it's this brightness that is before them. So imagine you got Hezekiah in, Hezekiah in his royal palace, and he's looking out, and Isaiah's talking to him, and he's looking out to, to the left where the stairs of Ahaz would be. Beyond that is the temple of the Lord. You can see that from the palace. And so the temple of the Lord, the Shekinah glory comes out. 
And they're looking out and they see this shadow be able to remove that this, the glory of God overpowers the sun and moves these shadows. Everyone in Jerusalem would see this. Everyone would see this proclamation and the word would quickly spread that the king is going to be healed and he's been told he's got 15 more years. We're going to be saved from the king of Assyria. This proclamation, it would think about the encouragement and the, and the joy that all of Jerusalem would experience as they see God's presence as the sign confirming this promise to Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah lives on. Hezekiah, it says that Manasseh was 12 years old when Hezekiah dies. Manasseh is his son, and Manasseh takes over as king at age 12. So three years later after this story, Hezekiah has a little boy. The promise continues that there's an heir from the line of David, and through that heir, Manasseh, Manasseh has a son who has a son who has a son, carry that story forward to the beginning of the New Testament. We have one more son, Jesus, who comes through the line of Hezekiah because he was given 15 more years. What a beautiful story, right? What a great story. It's an encouraging story. It's one that you want to hold on to. I remember well, long ago when Sarah, uh, we, were, we were about 20, 21, and she had a, a ruptured appendix, and it was just awful. The surgeon said it was the worst one he'd ever seen in someone that was still living. It had ruptured a week before we got in the hospital. And so we were there in the hospital. She'd been there a week, and the nurses told me, you need to reach out to her family because it doesn't look like she's going to make it. And she had told me that night, she, she remembered, isn't there a story, I think, about someone that prayed for extra years? And so she said, God, I don't remember the story, but will you give me more years just like that person in the Bible? And she's still here today. You got these great stories about these promises, and, and you, you read the story, and you're like, man, that's awesome. But this is where I said, this might be the hardest one to preach, because it's not always the case. It's not always the case that Hezekiah gets more life, that Sarah got more life. You sit there as a, as a pastor, I've been in many hospitals, and there's times where I've prayed, and that person has healed, and there's times that I've prayed, and I've held their hand when they died. I don't know how to balance that out. Why is not everyone healed like Hezekiah? And so when you get to the story, it's, it's a hard one to preach because it'd be really easy to, to write a, make a little bow on it and, and make it beautiful and say, hey, if you just pray, if your faith is strong enough, this will all work out. And then to throw out, well, if it didn't work out, then maybe your faith is weak. That's not the truth. It's not how God works. Because again, this wasn't Hezekiah's story. This was God's story. And Hezekiah was part of it. And so the line that will come out of Hezekiah continues on in God's story. That Hezekiah would lead the people and, and would have built, and built that tunnel that would bring the pool of Shalom into the city walls of Jerusalem so they would be sustained when Assyria attacks. That's not Hezekiah's story. That's God's story. That the people of Judah would continue on because of the things that Hezekiah has done. It's because God placed him there to be part of God's story. And so as we were talking about this, about this idea that it doesn't always work out perfect, Bill Heitfield, uh, one of our elders and part of our creative team, pointed me to another story. 
It's a story that we find in Moses. Remember, Moses is the leader who takes them out of Egypt and he leads them in the wilderness. Well, there's many stories about great things that Moses does and that he was able to converse with God and they were able to talk to one another. And God gave him instructions one time about how to get water. They're in the middle of a desert and the people are thirsty and they're crying out. And Moses says, we need to give, get water. And he, this happened a couple times. And this is the second time. And God gives him specific instructions. And Moses loses his temper at the people and he doesn't obey God. And he disobeys. And so we then get this passage near the end of Moses' life. He's been leading the people for a long time in the wilderness. And they're getting close to the promised land. And so we have this passage in Numbers chapter 27, verse 12 through 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up to the mountain in the Abram range and see the land that I've given to the Israelites. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. What it's saying is this idea of to be gathered by your people means you're going to die, just as your brother did. And you're not going to get to go to the promised land because you disobeyed me. And so it's this idea, Moses has been walking with God, he's been doing everything God says, and he's not going to get to go to the promised land, he's going to die. And so, and so when Moses is sharing this story in Deuteronomy chapter 3, it says, At that time I pleaded with the Lord, Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God, what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, the fine hill country in Lebanon. It's the same prayer that Hezekiah had. God, let me live longer so I can see this land. And as we continue to read, we'll see God tells him no. Moses never gets to go across into the promised land because that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't part of God's story. What was part of God's story is that they needed a new young leader that would lead them as they marched into this new land, and that's where Joshua comes into place. And so Moses was part of a grander story. And if the focus was on Moses' story, then it just seems unfair. Why did he not get to go? But the focus is on this grand story that if you look back at this from a distance, as if it was from a plane looking down, and look at Hezekiah and look at Moses, you'll see this is part of a longer narrative. This isn't the story of Hezekiah. This isn't the story of Moses. This isn't the story of you and me. This is a bigger, grander story of God. And so from God's viewpoint, when he looks at Moses... Even though, even though Moses had pleaded with God to enter the land, that wasn't part of the story. He wasn't the leader that needed to make that happen. Joshua was. And so Moses doesn't get to go. But to Moses' credit, we'll see throughout Deuteronomy as he gives instructions to the people of Israel, he got on board because it was more important to be on board with God's story. What was Hezekiah calling out? He was calling out to this promise of God's story, that there would be an heir that would continue on through the line of David, 
This wasn't, what was me? This is unfair. I, I want to do more. I want to accomplish more. No, it was, God, but what about your story? I haven't produced an heir yet. What about this promise? Both of them are looking at not their individual story of their life, but on the grand story of God. So what does this mean for us? Because it'd be great to sit here and say, hey, if we just had the faith of Hezekiah, everything will work out. There was no one as faithful as Moses either. And he didn't get the extended life. What it does, both stories point us to, is to be focused on God's story, not ours. That there's power of prayer to come before the Lord, but come before the Lord and present these requests as Hezekiah did, as Moses did, that they would lay this out before and that we would be willing to understand and follow where God is leading, to be able to get on board with God's plan, to be able to follow his story and to see what does he want. As Jesus shares with the disciples when they say, Jesus, how are we to pray? To pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That this should be the focus of our prayer. Not always the thing that we want. Not that always it works out perfect for us. But that our focus would be on God's kingdom and God's will on heaven and on earth. And so you see these stories. You see the story of Hezekiah, that he, God sends the message of Isaiah that you're going to die, and he knew, God already knew Hezekiah would call out, that Hezekiah would pray. Because then, as, Moses, as Isaiah comes back and delivers this new message that he's going to live, God already knew that it was going to take place. He already knew how this story would transpire. But he also knew that Hezekiah would be reinvigorated and know that God is there. And that we would have this promise that God is able to share, I will protect you and I will lead you from the, the king of Assyria. And, and this promise that you are the, in the line of David, that there would be an heir to come. That God knew Hezekiah would pray. Time and time again, Moses prayed as an intercessory prayers for the people of Israel. Don't think that he changed God's mind. God already knew the plans, but he also knew those plans were happening because Moses would pray. And so, in our life and the things going on around us, does God look and know that we're going to pray? Does he know that we would come to him to seek his will? As the leadership of the church, the, the past month and, and into another month, we've been reading uh, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And we've been doing the study, the, the elders, the staff, the operations team, and we've been reading this with the purpose of hearing God, knowing how to hear God, knowing how to understand God's will for our own lives, but also for the path of discovery. Our desire is to be able to figure out where's, where's God leading discovery, that it would not be the ideas of the elders, or the ideas of the ops team, the ideas of the Sabbath or, or of the staff or, or my ideas, because then we'd surely have a pet monkey here at the church, right? That, but that this would be the plans of God. Thy will be done. So this is our desire that we've been, we've been pursuing this. And, and in this book, in the, in the chapter this week, it said this passage, and I love this. God did not create you for a, for a time. He created you 
for eternity. That we are not created for this time here on earth. This set amount of time, rather, for Hezekiah, it was extended 15 years. For Moses, it wasn't. Either way, they were not created for the time here on earth. You and I are not created for the time here on earth. We're created for eternity. And that means for us, created for eternity, because God sent his son, Jesus, who died for us, and that if we believe that he died in our place, that he took our sins on the cross, and that he conquered death and conquered Satan, that we would have salvation and eternity in heaven if we only believe. But also that we are here for eternity, to be part of God's story. And so as we close this passage, like I said, it would have been a whole lot easier to, to close with a cute little bow that if you just have the strong enough faith, everything will work out like it did Hezekiah. But maybe the cute little bow is what Jesus did on the cross we have eternity with him. And when our prayers don't seem to be answered the way we want, we still have that hope that we'll be made whole and healthy and new for eternity. But also maybe the point of this morning, as we look at the story of Moses and Hezekiah, as we look at your story and mine, it's not about our story. It's about God's. And so in our life who has God put before you to be able to bring into his story? What family member, or coworker, what fellow student or person in your neighborhood has God placed in your circle of influence to bring people to this story? To point people to God? All of Jerusalem saw the Shekinah glory because Hezekiah called for it. He pointed them to God. Who do we need to point to God to learn this grander story? If you'll pray with me. Lord, we just pray that we can be part of this story, this bigger story, a story that's well beyond that of, of each one of us, well beyond the story of Moses and Hezekiah. It is the story that has been from the beginning of time and will go to the end of time. It's the story of eternity. It's the story of you. It's the story of your desire for salvation and your desire to, to bring about mankind into your presence. It's a story that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I pray that we would walk away from this morning with a story of Hezekiah, with a story of Moses. Two very different endings, but the same story. Because it is your story. That was their chapter in it, but that story continues. And God, right now we are in our chapter of your story. And God, let us make the most of it for you and for your glory. In your name.